Our reading is Psalm 16. David writes, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices My flesh also will dwell securely, for you will not abandon my soul to shale, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Well, may the Lord help us as we look at that passage with Albert this morning. Well, greetings. It's good to gather again and to come before the Lord and to sing His praises and to receive His Word. I bring you greetings from Faith Baptist of Pews Mill in in Sturgis. We pray for you regularly and we are thrilled in the way in which the Lord is is evidently blessing you all. Well, this morning... um, I want us to look at Psalm 16, though I'm not going to do a complete exposition of this most wonderful uh, psalm, but I rather want to to pick up on certain aspects of it. And I want to begin by talking about faith. And uh, this introduction will set the scene for what I want to explore as we look at this particular psalm. And so I raise a question to begin with. What do you understand by the word faith? Now, typically, we focus on what faith is and what faith accomplishes. Faith is trust in someone or something. Faith is not blind trust, but a trust based on sufficient evidence. Faith in Jesus brings a person into salvation and the service of God. Faith in Jesus results in the forgiveness of sins and a righteous standing before God through union with Christ and the imputation of his righteousness. Faith and its accompaniment, repentance, is a gift of God. Some of you perhaps have studied these things a little further and will be able to describe the three characteristics of saving faith. Notitia, that's knowledge about Christ and his work. There must be content. A census, acceptance of this knowledge as true. So we can know something, but it's another matter to receive it, to to base our actions upon it. And that finally is the third element, and that's fiducia, which means trust, entrusting ourselves into the Lord's hands based on the certain truth of what we know about him. Revealed to us, of course, by God himself through the work of the Holy Spirit. Faith in God is not a mere intellectual activity. Neither is it just an action of the will. It is a response of the entire person to God. Our body and soul. Our mind, our will. Our affections, our all. This is what God required of his people in response to his self-revelation and salvation. 
not giving an aspect of who we are, not distancing ourselves from him, but giving the totality of who we are to him. Deuteronomy chapter 5 records the law that God establishes for his people by which they would express their gratitude uh, for the salvation that he has wrought for them, in which they would express their union with God and manifest what it is to have God as their God and to walk in the ways of their God. This is then encapsulated in these words of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. In other words, a total, complete, wholehearted, energetic engagement with God himself. Not simply having a sample of him, but rather drinking deeply and giving wholly uh, to him. It then continues. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So at the core of what drives you, what sustains you, it ought to feed into every facet of who you are. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. These words shall, that I command you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And this is not just a matter of instruction of those who are younger, but rather the expression that the law of God ought to permeate not only the totality of our being in terms of our embrace of our Lord, but also the very lives that we live in every facet of that life. There is no separation between sacred and secular, but rather for those who God has redeemed to himself, everything is sacred. We dwell in the heavenly realms, as it's described in Colossians and Ephesians. And we bring the heavenly reality, we bring the reality of our holy God to bear in the lives that we live, in the totality of our lives. And this, of course, is uh, significant in our present day when we have an inclination to compartmentalize our lives between private and public, between what we say and what we think. And we sort of segment who we are. But such segmentation is not how God regards us. We are complete persons, body and soul. And he gives himself completely to us in the giving of his son, and we are to give ourselves completely to him. We are to enjoy our God, delight in our God. Hence love. Now love is a term that may have given great uh, thought on the part of people with regard to rescuing it from, in our contemporary setting, emotional expressions. Love in our particular time and circumstance is so often associated with an emotional engagement with another and emotional highs. And in our Christianity, there can be a tendency to want to rescue the notion of love from this emotional dimension, from this uh, engagement of our affections. And love then, in order to try and de-emphasize merely acting in a way that engages our emotions, love is presented as giving of ourselves to promote the honor and well-being of another, regardless of how we feel. So separation of feelings from the expression of love, because love is stronger than feeling. It is service in action, even self-sacrificing service. Faith and love are responses to the revelation of God, in particular, the revelation of Jesus Christ, who is God. And as such, neither faith nor love is devoid of an emotional dimension. Stoicism, in which we 
Reign in our passions is not the way of faith and love. Now, of course, we are to control the expression of our emotions, but we're not to suppress them in their entirety to devoid ourselves of the emotional dimension of our constitution. We are made in the image of God, and consequently we have a mind, will, and affections. Now, whatever a person may say about the impassibility of God, that is, that God doesn't have emotions as we have them because God is a spirit and not physical, whatever may be said about the impassibility of God, it is inescapable that in Scripture he repeatedly expresses himself in passionate terms across the whole range of passions. Already, the Song of Solomon has been mentioned. It's pretty passionate. How we feel is important because it is a facet of who we are. It might be that a tendency with some to deny the significance of how we feel arises because we live in this very feeling-centered society. And after all, feelings can be deceptive. But what about the mind? And what about the will? Are they free from deception? In an effort to embrace rationalism and reject emotionalism, I fear that we may throw out the baby with the bathwater. But surely, this is not what the Lord requires of us. To elevate facts over feelings. The Lord said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus is the truth, personal, real. And our response to him, our faith in him, is found in the entire giving of ourselves to him. We are set free from being held captive to sin and its service to being captivated with God and his service. Just as sin captures us in every way, and employs us in its service, we are to be captivated by Christ in every way and employed in his service. It is part of our human constitution that we are emotional beings. And this captivity is one that fulfills our constitution as human beings, as those who are made in the image of God, so that we express fully God's endowment of a body, soul, mind, will, and affections. We are not to recraft ourselves into some sort of autonomous response to God, but rather we are to give ourselves in all that we are as God has constituted to him. His salvation answers our need in every aspect of our constitution. Intellectually satisfying, volitionally directing us in a, in a most helpful and fulfilling way, emotionally satisfying, physically satisfying, satisfying to both body and soul. Look at the Psalms, where... The psalmist at times has a physical effect in relation to sin. And salvation brings healing to his bones, body and soul. Now, Psalm 16. In Psalm 16, we see our God answering our need to feel secure. Not simply to know that we are secure, but to feel secure, to actually feel secure, which is the truth of security humanized 
not merely intellectualized. For not only with this aspect of our relation to God, but so many other aspects we can just keep in our intellect and try by the enlargement of our intellectual understanding to come into a greater comfort while failing to engage with our Lord in terms of the affections of our lives and the acceptance of what he surely will give to those who give themselves to him. And that is a sure confidence in him. Intellectually, but also feeling confident in him. Now this is evident in the opening words of Psalm 1, though it will take a little explanation, and also in verses 8 through to 9. Verse 1 reads as follows, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Now, the word here for refuge, translated as refuge, can also be translated as trust. Now, in most modern translations, it's taken as refuge, but you go to the King James or the New King James, and you'll read trust, which shows that this is a facet of what this word is seeking to communicate. That in seeking refuge in God, we are exercising trust in him and being brought to a safe place of of comfort, security, a feeling of security. Now, David here is not merely looking for a place of escape, for his refuge is expressed in regards to God himself, a matter which is explained in verse 2. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. David's need and its satisfaction is not just locational. It is emotional. Yes. This man, this king, needs to be secure. He needs to feel secure. God's salvation here delivers David from insecurity and helplessness. Strong men don't suppress this reality. They go to the one who is strong in himself and who removes fear and insecurity so that they may be strong in their composition in him and for him. Manliness is not emotionless. Manliness is not independent strength, but dependent strength upon God. And one in which we are engaged in our trust in him, in the totality of who we are, there is a passion here in the relation. Remember God's words to Joshua taking over from Moses in leading the people. Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's language of love. And simply to say, well, yeah, great, thank you, Lord, (laughs) would be a failure to comprehend who it is that is speaking these words and what is going on in God saying these things, that he is going to be personally with him. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. The reading of the word is not just simply a matter of, of receiving instructions to know what the right thing is to do and the wrong thing to avoid. The scriptures reveal who the lawgiver is. And the fundamental motivation that drives the response to the law is the very one who gives the law. And Psalm 119 in its beginning makes it quite clear that in the study of the law, it's, it's a study of the revelation of God himself. And so what drives the obedience is the passion that a person is brought to uh, have in relation to God as he's revealing himself, his beauty, his worthiness. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. It's an emotion. And do not be dismayed. An emotion. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The refuge that David seeks is God himself. And he seeks it, not simply to find a hiding place away from trouble, but to calm his soul. Faith in God, trusting God, brings a confident security that calms and comforts a person so that they may not be driven by fear or anxiety, but by God and his worship. He sets us free in order to freely give who we are in the totality of who we are to our God. David's delight in the Lord is expressed a little later on in the psalm the whole psalm, but look at these verses in particular. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. And, and, and these words are replete with passion. It's not just simply, well, I've you know, evaluated all the evidence and I've made a wise choice. The inevitable end must be, I should trust in God. No. The Lord's my chosen portion. The one who satisfies me. The one who has my life in his hand. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Why does he have a beautiful inheritance? Because he has a beautiful God. He doesn't do anything in an ugly way. And the beauty of the inheritance is the beauty of the one with whom he is enjoying that inheritance. God himself. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. It's not just the presence or the strength of the Lord, but it's the interest that the Lord has in him and the consequent love which he has and which he knows. The confidence that he has in the Lord. He'll never fail him. He'll never forsake him. Therefore, my heart is glad. The joy arising out of the consciousness of knowing who the Lord is and that the Lord is with him. It is a response of true affection. And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. A bodily effect. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. So he's secure, which is what I'm trying to focus on. Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad and my soul being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. And it's qualified in verse 10 in particular with regard to uh, preservation from death. But it's not really the security that arises out of an assurance that he won't die. But rather that he'll continue to live. For David and the faithful believers of his day, God's salvation, salvation had its primary focus on the present, not the future. 
in the contemporary setting, so often the focus is upon the future and not realizing and embracing the totality of God's work through Jesus Christ in that Jesus saves. Present. A present that will never end. Carries on into the future. And that salvation is to be enjoyed in its fullness. Now, of course, the, the maximal expression of the enjoyment of our salvation will arise when we are transformed. This body of sin will be no more and we'll have a body in which, in the totality of all that we are and how we think, how we feel, how we act, will be consistent with the honor of God and the dignity of being made in his image. But in the present, even facing the reality of indwelling sin, God's salvation touches every aspect of our being. David wanted to know the fullness of God's salvation in the present so that he may continue to give himself to the worship and praise of God. Therefore, my whole heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Just to emphasize that his focus was on the present, look at what he reasons in in Psalm 6 and verse 4. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? Without getting bogged down in in, in the fine details of this, what's pretty plain is that he wants to live, and he wants to live so that he can give himself wholeheartedly to his God and express the worthiness of God, the worship of God, that he ought rightly to receive. That others may know this good God and see that this good God is not just simply uh, a, a, a way, but a totality of life. His focus on God is in the present. His faith in God brings a real feeling of security, not merely an intellectual assertion that he is secure, but a real feeling, a real confidence that he is secure. I know in whom I believe. And he's resting in him. The relation between faith and feeling secure is brought out by the very word secure in Psalm 16 and verse 9. In making a translation from any particular language, choices have to be made to try and convey in as helpful a way what a particular word means or a particular construction conveys in the language into which you're translating. And for the sake of flow, especially with poetic material such as this, selections have to be made. But the scriptures, by the grace of God, are available to us in the original languages so that there is the potential to be able to come to grips with the the depth of meaning being expressed. And the very word that is translated as secure here conveys a sense of well-being arising out of a trust, a confidence in something or someone. Of course, in this case, it's someone. It conveys trust, and it conveys the state of confidence that a person has as a consequence of this trust. That's why secure is a common translation of this particular word. The same word in Psalm 4, verse 6, though, is translated as trust. To just illustrate um, the reality of how uh, this word can take, verse 5, actually. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Could also be translated, put your confidence in the Lord. Put your faith in the Lord. Come to a confident rest in the Lord. On the basis of those right sacrifices, the conscience may be settled and the person understand how they rightly stand before God, if you want to look at that particular context. Faith in God 
is not just seeing and accepting him as believable. Faith in God. True faith in God. Unrestrained faith in God in the right and best sense of that gives rise to a feeling of security, a feeling of confidence. And I think this perhaps might explain why some struggle with putting the Lord first. Can know in the mind that God is sovereign, can know in the mind that God has all things in his hands, can know in the mind that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. But that confidence, that absolutely pervasive certainty in which it's not just there as as an intellectual assertion, but it is in the fiber of our being. I know. I know him. I know exactly who he is how he acts, what he is like. I know for certain his relation to me. Because faith causes us to see and respond to God, to receive him. But I wonder if we only receive him into one area of, of our constitution. And we think, well, that's enough now. And, and, we, and we begin to rationalize it. Well, justified by faith alone in Christ alone. Yeah, I've ticked all the boxes. I'm okay. We're looking at faith forensically, legally. That's true. But it's not all the truth. Faith affects us totally. Our engagement with Christ brings us to a person, brings us to our God. And just as a child can rest in the arms of her mother and feel confident and relaxed. Faith brings us to that place. Faith is brought to its completion and blessing when it results in our feeling of confidence and security in the Lord. It brings peace, inner peace, and the absence of fear Even a carefree state. Now, I don't mean a careless state, but one where we are set free from care because we know and are assured, are confident that matters are in God's hands. Not that they might be in his hands for some other people, but my life, my matters are in his hands and they matter. Psalm 84 Bring some of this out. And looking at the end of that particular psalm. Verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. It's the same word. Who is secure in you. That the fruit of faith is not just the listing of what we read in in Galatians. It is a fruit that is sweet. And it brings sweetness to us, body and soul. It, it, It softens us. Proverbs chapter 3. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Give faith no rest until 
Your faith in Christ brings you to rest in Christ. Not go through some intellectual exercise to try and add more arguments to the mind that will assure you that God is absolutely trustworthy. But rather, embrace him as the God in whom you place your trust, living as he has instructed us for our well-being and for his honor and glory. And incrementally, deepen the confidence that you have in him as you live with him, in union with him, in loving him. With all your heart. But you see, we want to compartmentalize. Well, you can have 80%, 90%, maybe even 98%. But a little corner here, I'd like to keep that please. It's my teddy bear. You know I need my teddy bear. All our heart. Verse 23. Then you will walk on your way securely. Same word. And your foot will not stumble. So the not stumbling is related to feeling, being, securing God. Anxiety, fear, distrust opens up all kinds of doors in which we take matters into our own hands. But resting confident in God with no shadow of a doubt of the absolute goodness of God. The promise, the statements that we have in in Psalm 16 is the promise for the church. Zechariah, which presents um, God's work and God's purposes ultimately expressed uh, in his church, talks of Jerusalem, which is the church. Read Revelation 21. And it's described in geographical terms that would resonate with uh, the Jews of the day. Let me read it to you. This is Zechariah 14, verse 9. The Lord will will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. That reality is true now. And one day, the whole world will know that reality, that there is only one God and that Jesus Christ is Lord. The whole land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem, but Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate, to the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananel to the king's winepresses, and it shall be inhabited. For there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. Not just an individual reality, but a corporate reality and a reality which is reinforced within the body of God's people. In the light of this, hear these words. Firstly, of our Lord. John chapter 14. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Our God here is is not simply saying you're going to be free from trouble, (laughs) but you're going to be whole, which is the concept of peace if we take it from the earlier scriptures, shalom, its completeness, its wholeness, its contentedness, its fulfillment. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. He gives himself. He is our peace. Not as the world gives, I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. 
And so here our emotional state will indicate something of our spiritual state. Of whether we're living in and for the kingdom or whether we're living for ourselves in the kingdom of the world. It's Matthew 6. It's a wonderful salvation. Jesus truly does save. Totally. John 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In your relation to me, in your union with me, as your heart beats with my heart, as my heart is your heart, put it more precisely. That the love of the Father, that is characteristic of my love for the Father, will be your love for the Father. That your joy may be complete. That's John 15. Acts chapter 10. Verse 34. Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Yes, we know it's the gospel of peace. And we often, I I think, can find the notion of peace in terms of peace with God being reconciled to God. And some experience of that peace manifest in the relation that we have with others within the body. But it's, it's, it's not simply peace in, in, in one particular facet. It's peace in its totality. The gospel brings us to rest. To rest in Christ. To lean upon Him. To feel the warmth of his love towards us. A passionate God. Passionately engaged. Romans 12. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And that's not simply a matter of avoiding conflict. This is is the fruit of, 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 of resting in God, of peace in Christ. That we are those that engage with others in such a way that they come to understand something of this peace. So it's not just simply an avoidance of trouble or an avoidance of conflict, but it's a communication of the rest that we have been brought into in Christ and the delight which this is to us and such alleviates us of tensions that so easily arise when we find that things are beyond our control, people or circumstances, wherever they may be, and that then affects our behavior. So the exhortation here It's not just simply harmony, but the expression, as it always ought to be, of who Christ is. Chapter 14 of the same. Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So now, the description of a spiritual person is not one who can simply articulate the confession of the faith in its nuances. But one who is characterized by righteousness, right with God, walking right with God, thinking right, and therefore whole and joy us. Not a joy that is inflated by some emotional excitement, but rather the joy, the solid joy, the abiding joy 
that arises out of contentedness in the relationship in which we know ourselves to be loved and love the one who loves us. That what matters more than anything else is this relationship into which by the grace of God I've been brought and from which I can never be taken. I'm happy. I'm happy. Chapter 15 and verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Now it's interesting that the word hope here in Greek is the Greek word that is used to translate the Hebrew word that we encounter in Psalm 16 as secure. So now you could equate hope with being secure in God. And being secure in God, obviously, would make a person hopeful. (laughs) It's not simply what hope we have for the future, but what hope we have now, through to the future and forevermore, in Christ. One more. 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. Addressing the church and summarizing verse 13. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And the same point applies here. Faith, pistis, and then hope, elpis, same word as secure. Faith, security, and love abide. This trilogy. Of course, love, the love of God and the love for God holds it all together. Our faith fulfills its potential when we are fully rested, fully secure in Christ. When we feel fully rested and fully secure in Christ. In the words, we have found our comfort in Him. This is not about the pursuit of an emotional state. It is about the pursuit of Christ. The embrace of Christ. The love of Christ. Our trust in Christ. Our worship in Christ. Our joy in Christ. From the depth of our being, our rest in Christ. Jesus saves. Alleviated from paralyzing fear, we can joyously and confidently serve God like Christ's disciples of old with the boldness that the Spirit of God's presence brings. They were forbidden to preach in Jesus' name. They go to their Lord and they pray to their Lord together. And the Lord brings the fullness of His Spirit to bear in their lives and they are resting in Him and consequently delivered from fear and anxiety and able with confidence to boldly proclaim who Jesus Christ is because they have embraced Him in their totality. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Our security in Christ delivers us from timidity. Timothy, you've not received a spirit of fear or timidity, one of love and of power of self-control. It delivers us that we may give ourselves wholeheartedly. It delivers us from the fear of letting go of what we have found so comforting in our lives to find the greater comfort of Christ and his life. And rest in confidence, not needing persuasion after persuasion to believe upon the Lord and trust in the Lord, but knowing that he is trustworthy. Once someone 
is known to us as trustworthy. We don't have to then say, well, come on then, remind me again all the reasons why you're trustworthy. It's a relationship. So my friends, look to Christ as he is revealed to us in the gospel, in the scriptures. Don't settle until your faith, until faith in him, ultimately the gift of God, of course, until faith in him has completed its work in bringing you to rest and rejoice in him always and in all circumstances. And as such, our lives will be a sweet-smelling aroma before our God to the praise of his glory. And the world will know in our unity with our God and our unity with one another in the love of God, in our rest in God, in our joy in God, in our hope in God, in our confidence in God, in our security in God, that Jesus Christ does indeed save. He's Lord of all and reigns forevermore. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy towards us in Christ Jesus. Lord our God, we thank you for being with us, for filling your church with your spirit. That God truly is with us, to bringing us to rest in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we know that we will never come to perfection of rest in the present time. I suspect, O oh Lord, that we come far short of the rest that we can have in the present time. May your grace abound towards us, O oh Lord, that in beholding you, in embracing you, in walking in union with you, O oh Lord, that we would come to an increasing assurance, as indeed the Scriptures direct us, that you are our Lord and our Saviour. God, in all his goodness towards us, that we, being redeemed by you, O Lord, may proclaim your praises, your worthiness, with joy in our hearts, O Lord, and find that the joy of the Lord, as the scriptures say, is our strength to live for our Lord and to make our Lord known, to love you and to love your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.